When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Today's agreement is a good first step to ending the persistent inaction to gun violence. This time is different. This time is different. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. On the morning of January 6th, President Donald Trump's intention was to remain President of the United States. Violence was no accident. It represents Trump's last stand. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Senators strike a deal on guns. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics with details today on the framework just weeks after the shooting in Uvalde. And as the House Committee investigating January 6th builds its case against Donald Trump, we'll discuss both with Congressman Stephen Lynch, Democrat from Massachusetts, member of the Gun Violence Prevention Task Force. Later, stocks tumble on the latest inflation shock. President Biden says he'd like to pop someone. And we'll talk about the messaging on prices with Greg Valliere, AGF Investments. Our panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, along with Republican strategist Doug High, former communications director at the Republican National Committee. We've got a great hour ahead, but first, the damage done, an update on the markets. There's nowhere to hide today. Let's go a bit deeper with Bloomberg Equities reporter Jess Menton. Jess, thanks for being here on a a, a busy after hours. There are a lot of broken charts out there. How damaging was today from a technical standpoint? It was very damaging. One of the key levels that technicians were keeping a close eye on was 3810, which the S&P 500 broke today. And that was the intraday low on May 20th when we had that big sell-off. At that point, the S&P 500 had dropped more than 20% intraday from its January 3rd high at that session, but paired back losses and did not officially close in the bear market that day. But today, it did. And it was one of the most powerful bull market runs that we've ever seen. Wow. 
So it's a sell everything market here. Even energy was lower today, huh? Everything was. And interesting with energy, I spoke with a number of strategists to get a sense of why energy was one of the among leading groups in the sectors in the Mm S&P 500 that was lower, if that was something that was tied to global growth concerns and recessionary fears. But something that did come up was as far as when I was talking with technicians, one of those things where energy has been the best performing sector by far this year. And it's a sign that potentially investors were starting to sell even some of their winners and liquidating some of those positions to raise some of their cash levels. And that's something that has been a bit missing this year in the sell-off when you're looking at the S&P 500 versus some of these, say, more tech growth oriented indexes like the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100, because a lot of people say when it comes to Apple, some of these other really big favorites that people don't want to let go of. We saw signs of those stocks cracking in the last month. And again, maybe when you're looking at energy, some of those signs as well. Interesting. This is all about a recalibration, right? That 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 inflation data on Friday recalibrated the expectation for the Fed. Now we're talking 75 basis points again, maybe even more. Right. The Wall Street Journal pointing out that we might see a potential surprise move of 75 basis points from the Fed on Wednesday. And a lot of it has to do, especially when we're looking at the stock market, what's going on with the bond market when you're looking at the U.S. 10-year Treasury yield spiking again above 3.1 percent. And just the speed in which that it has moved so quickly, it's really going to pressure the stock market and enforcing stocks and investors to recalibrate their expectations as far as what that means for valuations, corporate earnings, and obviously the Fed's trajectory with the economy. Great analysis, Jess. Uh, Great to have you. Thank you for the insights. Jess Metton with us getting things rolling on the fastest hour in politics. My God, that was something to watch. Meantime, here inside the bubble, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says he will bring a gun bill to the floor as soon as it's finished. The president says he's going to sign it. He put a statement out yesterday after negotiators in the Senate announced the framework for a gun safety bill. It includes what we've been talking about, a red flag incentive for states, more comprehensive background checks, as we learned as well over the weekend for people under 21 who want to buy a gun. White House calling it an historic agreement today, though, as we've told you as well, lawmakers in the House have been working on uh, much more uh, strict legislation, further reaching, that includes hiking the age to buy an assault rifle to 21, uh, which was approved by uh, a pretty wide majority of people in a series of polls conducted since Uvalde. Now, Congressman Stephen Lynch, a Democrat from Massachusetts, Boston, Mass., who serves on the Gun Violence Prevention Task Force, urged his colleagues in committee last week as they were marking up those bills to make that law. Here he is. I respect my colleagues' rights to defend the Second Amendment. But I will note when, when in defending the Second Amendment, you, you have to go to military experts and battlefield com- commanders for advice on how to protect our kids while they're in school. We got a problem. We've got a problem. Congressman Lynch joins us now on Bloomberg Radio. It's great to have you, Congressman. Greetings to Southie. Does the Senate bill go far enough? Would you vote for it? Well, Joe, that's that's the uh, that's the dilemma right now. We have a framework, but there there is no language yet. There's no text. So mm-hmm. I understand that uh, that both sides. There were ten Republican members and ten uh, Democratic members who agreed to a basic framework, but it's an agreement on principles. And so, yeah. you know, as you know, the 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 devil is in the details. And so, when we get down to actually putting pen to paper and mm-hmm. and getting those provisions down, then 
then we'll be able to be a better judge of it. But look, I, I don't want to I don't want to discourage them. I I am glad that they are coming to a framework. I am glad what we that we're having progress in the Senate, yeah. and uh, I look forward to supporting uh, that bill. Of course, we 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 think uh, more is needed as opposed to some of our other colleagues. But but that's what legislation is about. It's about compromise. So let's mm-hmm. see what we can do to make this make Americans safer, make these kids in school safer. That's that's the end goal for all of us here. You recently quoted The New York Times, uh, a report that found that if the proposals being considered in Congress had been lost since 1999, four gunmen younger than 21 would have been blocked from buying the rifles they used in mass shootings. The Senate bill, as I mentioned, does not raise the age for buying a gun the way the House does. But will it help to have background checks that include juvenile records, as this apparently will include? Do you like that idea? Well, the the idea is that, you know, as as what happened in Uvalde, when a kid turns 18, that should not give him uh, the the uh, unmitigated right to to own a an assault weapon. Right. There, yeah. there should be something else that is required there. So. I, I think the Senate agrees with us on that. It, it, you know, how much added protection do we need? I, I think it is wildly popular in, in the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the general population. I think especially among those who have 18-year-olds, and uh, you know, they they recognize the need for more maturity there. And uh, you know, I think that's that's a point we we can agree on. And let's let's yeah. sit down and figure out what what restrictions are reasonable under the circumstances. Massachusetts passed a red flag law in 2018. I was there. I remember the debate. It was surprisingly uh, protracted. People might not assume for liberal so-called Massachusetts. But reports say that since then, the order has not been used uh, often. And when it's used, it's actually been policed more often than family members or spouses. Has has the law helped? Has it made a difference in your state, Congressman? I think at this point, it would just be anecdotal. Uh, so in some cases, we do recognize that you know, it's it's tough to prove a crime, a crime that was not committed. Right. It's, it's yeah. tough to prove, uh, you know, the negative. Yeah. So we think that there were that were many instances uh, of uh, a bad situation being averted by the removal of a gun from from a home. You so, do. OK. But again, it's it's not it's not as widespread as, as we thought might be the case. Um, but there are instances where, you know, families will come forward or, or police will. Uh, will intervene to say that an individual should not, under their current conditions, should not uh, have access to to a firearm, and it's it's adjudicated in this case, so that you have an impartial judge recognizing recognizing you know the the Second Amendment as well. Yeah. Uh, what happens from here? Do you have a sense of the, will there be negotiations with the House, or will you essentially get a product from the Senate that you need to decide up or down on? Well, uh, there's always room for negotiation, and and because you're pretty far apart has, in your versions here, obviously, they they are they are. But but I I, I think either either our Senate colleagues, uh, Democratic Senate colleagues, will carry some of our initiatives forward in those negotiations with with their Republican colleagues, or there may be a requirement for for a conference of some sort yeah. or some negotiations between the Senate and the House, but. Again, I, I am encouraged that there is this framework and we do seem to be moving forward. This gives you a sense of how fresh this is as we discuss it with Congressman Stephen Lynch from Massachusetts on Bloomberg Sound On. I want to ask you about the January 6th committee while you're here quickly, Congressman. 
had its second hearing today. Uh, we heard at length today from former Attorney General Bill Barr, uh, along with a number of other top-ranking White House officials, including the president's former president's daughter. Uh, they described repeated attempts to tell Donald Trump that he had lost the election in the day uh, of and days following. Listen to Bill Barr in testimony today. I was somewhat demoralized because I thought, boy, if he really believes this stuff, he has, you know, lost contact with, uh, with uh, he, he's become detached from reality. Detached from reality. This, of course, led to Bill Barr's departure. Congressman, this committee is bringing forward some very troubling allegations. Uh, we're told that there is evidence uh, that will show even worse as they begin to connect the dots, that the president essentially attempted a coup. Is anything going to come from these hearings beyond trying to set the record straight, set history straight? At some point, will there be charges? So what I'm anticipating, and this is just me from from reviewing the evidence, is that there'll be, uh, I, I think there will be, based on all of the evidence, and, and we have more evidence to come uh, that hasn't been made public, uh, that a criminal referral will be made and that the Department of Justice will have to make a decision at that point. Uh, yeah. But they will have ample evidence. And uh, and again, it won't be a, uh, you know, won't be a congressional effort. It'll be the Justice Department that takes that up. Should Kevin McCarthy that, that is the face main, charges? That's the main purpose there. Understood. Uh, excuse me? Do you think they yeah. should refer uh, as I mean, they did already for the minority leader? Should Kevin McCarthy have been charged for refusing to cooperate, in your opinion? I'm not quite sure. I, I didn't dive into that in terms of, you know, what he, what he's legally bound yeah. to do. Um, he, he does have, you know, some rights uh, against self-incrimination. Uh -huh. um, but um, I think it was the right thing to do to come and cooperate and testify. But um I'm talking about busting a lot of conventions here these days. I don't have to tell you that uh, as yeah. someone who's been on Capitol Hill for a minute. Just, should Donald Trump himself be charged? Uh, that's what the criminal referral would be for. For him specifically, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. He's behind this all, right? Well, there I mean, could be, if it's a conspiracy, a lot of names. I, I'm, I'm curious there could be. what you think. There could be. There could be. There could be. Uh, let's, let's let the rest of the evidence come out. I know there are some members that... Uh, came forward and asked for for pardons as well. That that's surely an indication of at least their own belief that they might be guilty of something. Did you know that before they announced that last week? Had you heard that before? I did. Yeah, yeah. So that's true. Then we've been arguing about this for the last four or five days as to whether it happened. And, and you know, I know the committee is going to. You asked me if I heard details. it, whether it's yeah. true or not. It, it remains to be seen. But that that's what I was told. Fascinating. Five to six yeah. lawmakers, Congressman. I'm not sure if it's as high as six, but uh, there were several. I saw the price for a gallon of gasoline in Massachusetts today top five dollars, just like where I am here in Washington. It was five dollars and four tenths or something like that. I don't know what you're paying in the city, Congressman, but how worried are you this uh, that this is actually the story that is making headlines as opposed to what's happening in that committee room? Yeah, that that is a concern. Uh, it seems that. You know, Ukraine has dropped off the the, uh, you know, the front pages as well to a certain extent. And, and uh, people are looking at the, the price of basic goods. You know, inflation is uh, is is uh, the most regressive tax there is. So it's hitting the people worst who can least afford it. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I think people are seeing that up front every day in their in their lives. And, and it's 
occupying a, a big part of their worry. It's getting to be almost uh, a comedy routine, though, with the, the way this is being covered, isn't it? With every single day asking about what are you going to do to beat inflation? If this is a global phenomenon, are, are we not overstating the role that Washington plays in controlling uh, consumer prices, particularly energy prices? I know that's its own conversation, but this is yeah. like these are long term trends, no? Right. And you do not you do not replace 20 percent of the oil supply that was taken off the market with Russia's invasion of, of Ukraine yeah. uh, any time quickly. Uh, I also think that as as well-meaning as some of the measures we've put forward and, and that involves uh, transocean shipping and things like that, I don't think there's any quick fix here that we're going to be in for a, a slow slog here. Mm-hmm. And uh, if history is any indicator it it takes a while to turn this around and and i think that'll be true in this case i hope you've had a chance to get down to sullivan's uh for a a hot dog and i hope your summer's going well (laughs) congressman thank you for coming to talk to us Uh, thank you joe thanks for having me on it's a pleasure here on bloomberg sound on meet gary gary's about to become an einstein in an instant whoa einstein hair i like it that's right gary because you're using salesforce powered by einstein ai to connect data predict business trends generate personalized content and wow customers i do feel a lot smarter because you're not just gary anymore you're gary empowered by einstein ai did you hear that team i'm an einstein oh can i get a selfie the number one ai crm now everyone's an einstein with salesforce Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. We assemble our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Shanzano. Doug Hyde's with us as well, Republican strategist, former deputy chief of staff to Eric Cantor, former communications director for the RNC. Doug, greetings. Welcome back. And Jeannie, I hope you had a great weekend as we consider. I don't even know where to begin after everything we just covered uh, with Congressman Lynch, but I think we'll just do this uh, in order. And that's a deal on guns, Jeannie. This is the incremental stuff we've been talking about, but it looks like it's actually going to happen. And maybe even a bit more on the background checks that, that you might not have expected. Does this sound like success to you? It, it sounds like something to be optimistic about and hopeful about, but this is far from a done deal. And I think the congressman just stressed what, what everybody in Washington is saying, which is we don't have language yet. Remain and skeptical. I, it's, well, <laughs> you know me, I'm a little bit of a skeptic, but well, you know, for this I, one, yeah. For, yeah. And, and, and so the question is going to be, you know, what does that language look like? How long does this take? They supposedly want to get this done before July 4, mm-hmm. which is a challenge, but doable. But but don't forget, and I keep mentioning this to people, with Toomey Mansion, it was the language that destroyed that deal. Because mm. once the language came out, people were able to look at it, pick at it, and that's yep. what drove senators away from supporting it. And I don't think they did that fairly. So the language is going to matter an awful lot because you're a far cry from that when you're talking framework. So I, I am hopeful it would be wonderful if they could push this through, but there's still a ways to go. Doug, you've been in the room when the bill writing happens. When this process starts, uh, what are your thoughts on how many changes could happen? Are you skeptical, like Jeannie? 
Uh, look, I've been hopeful and skeptical the entire time. Um, hopeful that this time indeed is different, um, which we've we've heard before, uh, but seems to be true. And also skeptical because the old adage is, is very true here. The devil is in the details. And this is where we're getting at right now is that detail part where you're putting legislative text together. This is where disagreements happen. This is where agreements that happen on a Monday. This is where lobbyists dis Disagreements on a Tuesday. And, and, and that as well. Um, and so, you know, we have a ways to go. But, you know, obviously, if, if this is a marathon, not a sprint, mm -hmm. you know, we are at least at the 13.1 mile mark. And, you know, hopefully we can get to the finish line. The president has uh, largely allowed this to happen, uh, Jeannie, and it came up a few times at the White House press briefing today, uh, whether he was going to become more directly involved and whether he would actually engage with Republicans, not just the, the Democrats who are part of this. We know he's met with, uh, with, with Chris Murphy, the Democrat from Connecticut. But is it time to stand up and say, you know, I can influence this. Uh, here's what I'd like to see. Um, I, I think he should do what he's been doing, which is let these senators work this out. If the, he, they need him to step in, I think he absolutely should do that. But at this point, they seem to have forward movement. So I wouldn't want him to step in so and that do doesn't anything. Help. That, that doesn't help. And, you know, Joe, you mentioned something critically important to the congressman about the red flag laws in Massachusetts. And I remember this well. Hmm. That's what we mean. You know, in theory, these sound very good. But when mm -hmm. you get to those details that Doug was just talking about, that's where the rubber hits the road. It can be very tough for people to sign on. And by the way, not just Republicans. You've got to hold all the Democrats. We've got Warnock, Hassan. We've got Cortez Masto, Kelly. These people in purple states have voters they need who feel very strongly about the Second Amendment. And I'm not saying they're going to vote against it, but you got to keep them on board as well. Doug, when you consider the idea of, you know, they couldn't get a, a federal red flag together, we're incentivizing states under the language in this legislation, or I guess I can't even say that, but not under the handshake language uh, going forward here. How many red states are going to take the money to adopt red state laws, red flag laws? Well, I I, the, the short answer, the short answer is we don't know. Um, you know, what we've often seen is you know, money's available to states for various purposes. And yeah. some some states take the money, some states don't. It sometimes is remarkable when a Republican governor um, expands, say, you know, Medicare, for instance, um, where, where we've seen more Republican governors accepting that money where they haven't in the past. But at this point, we just don't know. And, you know, this is, I think, emphasizes what's really been a challenge, uh, not just on this issue, but, but on so many issues of letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. And mm -hmm. So often we hear, uh, whether it's on this bill or, or on other issues, the, the answer that this isn't the solution. Right. And we, all, we often then lose sight of trying to find a solution because something isn't the final solution. And if, um, if, if we can't get to the perfect, let's accept some good. And it's one of the reasons why it's been so significant that leadership has stayed out of it. Mitch McConnell's not involved in this process. Chuck That's Schumer's true. not involved in this process. And that's a good thing in this case. Lo and behold, there's something to show for it. I'm just curious, though, Doug, where the red flag law kind of falls on the partisan scale here. Is that seen as, you know, sort of uh, damaging gun control in in the conservative sort of Second Amendment uh, world? Or is that something after this series of shootings that everyone seems to be kind of open to? Well, more people are certainly open to it. And, and look, as the congressman said, you know, it, it's hard to prove a crime before it has happened. Right. And, you know, that that's a legitimate issue as as we move forward and how to, you know, consider red flag laws and, and, you know, warnings and so forth. We're starting to see some members change on this, some minds on the Republican side, but it's clearly not universal.
Jeannie, the idea of going through uh, juvenile uh, criminal records and mental health records when uh, applicable in a background check uh, gives you more hope than you had in, in the effectiveness of this legislation or not? It does. I think for me that uh, portion is probably the biggest surprise that there was, you know, this bipartisan support for that. And it would be profoundly important if they were able to push it through. But I think there is sort of a through line in both of these. You know, you look at the incentives for red flag laws. You look at these more extended background checks with mental health checks and other things for younger Mm -hmm. people under 21, and there are real and serious and profound questions that people have about the denial of due process as it pertains to red flags and then as it pertains to the juvenile records to privacy. So those are the kinds of nitty-gritty things that they're going to have to address because people take rightly so very seriously that we have due process in this country. We have a yeah. right to privacy when it comes to language. Yeah, when it comes to health care, mental health and those things. And so, you know, it's one thing to in you know, in a thirty thousand foot level say, Yeah, I want yeah. a red flag law. When you look at how it works, people it's do have serious questions. Jeannie, how about the boyfriend loophole though? We only have thirty seconds, but that is actually something that's not really come up in this conversation nationally that gets to the idea of domestic violence, not just school shootings. Yeah, and, and again, really critically important a way to stop this but also raises questions about due process and about people being wrongly accused those are real concerns people have just forever complicated great conversation though and great to have doug high with us Jeannie shanzano with us for the hour our panel here on bloomberg sound on i'm joe matthew in washington coming up inflation is a bear for the white house we'll gauge the level of panic ahead with greg valier this is bloomberg So many blockbusters this week, writes Greg Valliere. The January 6th committee going for the jugular gun reform bill finally moving. Kind of sounds like this hour so far. Add an Iranian nuclear deal. Apparently dead. But the big story, he writes, is the Washington panic over inflation, which may lead the Federal Reserve to consider more aggressive tightening. That's actually where we started this hour. Of course, talking about that with Jess, market reaction today has been brutal. Add the gasoline price spike. I'm going down the note from Greg Valliere. And the increasingly angry president, you heard him in Los Angeles on Friday. He's at the port of L.A. Remember, we talked to the director of the port a little while after about uh, shipping industry profits. And he got really upset. Listen to Joe Biden at the port. Every once in a while, something you learn makes you viscerally angry. Like if you had the person in front of you, you'd want to pop them. No, I really mean it. There are nine, nine major ocean line shipping companies that ship from Asia to the United States. Nine. They form three consortium. These companies have raised their prices by as much as 1,000%. And he wants to pop them. It's like a why I oughta. Uh, Greg Valliere, uh, always great to have you. Do you think that was in the prompter, or, or was that was that spontaneous? No, it, it's spontaneous. That is why, Joe, they don't let him do very many press conferences because <laughs> when he's unscripted, who knows what he's going to say. Uh, talked about Exxon Mobil as well. He said they're making more money than God. Pay your fair share and so forth. I mean, is this kind of what it's come to? And I got to this a little bit earlier with Congressman Lynch 
Greg, you know, we're all, it's part, partly on us, right? We're asking them every single day, what are you going to do about inflation? When the White House has kind of used every tool it's got, right? Maybe there's something I'm not thinking of. I guess there's China tariffs. They've deferred to the Fed, argue with their late or not. But my goodness, the, you know, what else is Joe Biden going to say at this point? The cupboard is pretty bare when it comes to policies. There's a leak this evening that they may revive their idea of a gasoline uh, price uh-huh. rebate. I, I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, it, it, it's going to cost money, but I think people might like seeing that. But there's not a lot that he can do. And to rely on the Fed is ironic because an incumbent president doesn't want to have a Fed raising rates. And that's what we're going to see. Well, that's for sure. We're well on our way there, uh, of course. But what do you make of the messaging? It's been very deliberate lately. Defer to the Fed. Talk about the independence of the Fed. Corrine Jean-Pierre was doing that just an hour ago in the briefing room. And then remind everybody that, you know, you've got this China competes bill. You've got the CHIP Act waiting. Mm -hmm. And you've got ideas from Build Back Better that might be good to lower prescription drug prices and so forth. But that's going to be the answer tomorrow and next week and in the month after, right? And before you know it, Joe, we're going to have the July 4th break, and then there's a five-week August break going into early September, and then there's the election. And I think there's not a lot of time left to get much done. Mm-hmm. I think that relying on the Fed is, is risky because the Fed is going to do some real damage to interest-sensitive things. Does the gun bill chalk up to be a win if this thing gets passed? Yeah, it does. I, I think he could claim it's better than nothing. We've done something. Uh, of course, that's going to take another week or two before it, it gets done. But, right. yeah, I, he desperately needs a, a victory, and this would be one. Well, let me ask you this. Does a trip to Saudi Arabia end up being a win if it actually lowers oil prices? That's unclear. I, I think he's got two constituents that won't be happy. One is people yeah. who don't like the way Saudis, the Saudis treat people in terms of human rights. Mm-hmm. The other is the environmentalists who uh, don't like fossil fuels. And Joe Biden's going to go to Saudi Arabia trying to get more fossil fuels. Does that angry talk work? The you know show show them you're mad, mad as hell. We're not going to take it anymore. Or is is that why we're in the 30s for uh, approval ratings? I'm not sure it's constructive. I understand that he's frustrated. And frankly, Joe, I think that he has to be thinking about uh, only one term. Uh, I've been writing this. It's controversial. but You, had, you were ahead of the New York Times on this. Yes, I, as I pointed out to people today. But I, I think that the, there's, there's some there there. I think that the— Well, you went further than that. You said maybe not finish this term. Uh, let's, let's just jump right to it. What are you, what's making you think that? I think there's going to be a shellacking uh, on November 8th. The Democrats are going to take terrible losses in, in the House. Uh, they'll lose the House and losses in the Senate uh, as well. And I think that the Democrats are seeing in Joe Biden somebody who's lost a couple of miles off his fastball. Uh, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I can't say anything for sure, but uh, I think he's not quite as sharp as he was. That's becoming a very common theme. Uh, and he hasn't but been able to means, get anything but, done. But that means a resignation? Or how do you mean not, not, not capable serving the rest of this term? I think that he may be in a position where uh, he would step down uh, maybe oh after, th- after Thanksgiving. I don't, I, I don't rule that out a, a, at all. I, I will say for, I, I feel quite strongly that he will not seek a second term. This is coming from Greg Valliere with us today on Bloomberg. This has been a, quite an hour, I'll tell you. Um, with regard to the, the gun legislation, you said a couple of weeks. Is anything in the pipe after that 
I mentioned the remnants of Build Back Better. We started hearing the word reconciliation a little more often the last couple of weeks. Do they go for it? Uh, they may. The key, if you've, you've heard this before, the key is Joe Manchin. And we'll, we'll see if he's willing to do anything on Build Back Better. Don't you love uh, being asked that question over and over and over again by people like me? You said, well, you could play the tape back from a year ago. It's the same yeah, answer. It, 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 exactly. There, there might be something. I can't, you can't rule it out. I, I think I'm intrigued by this gas, gasoline rebate yeah. idea that might gain some traction in the next few days. But, huh. the, again, the cupboard is pretty bare. January 6th committee, I have to admit, uh, Greg, I felt like it was more effective today in, in the way the tape was edited and the way things were rolled out. Maybe they weren't trying as hard. I'm not sure exactly. But, boy, hearing these top-ranking Trump officials in their own words has been uh, pretty damaging. A, a devastating day for Donald Trump. Uh, William Barr certainly made it quite clear yeah. when he said he thought Trump maybe was in you know alter, alternate universe. Uh, and I think there was a, the other story that probably will get a lot of play in the next day or so is that Trump's people raised a lot of money based on these. They falsehoods. did. We're going to talk about that next. Try two hundred and fifty million dollars. Great talk with Greg Valliere. We appreciate it, Greg. AGF Investments will reassemble the panel next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. And the redhead on the terminal, not what this White House wants to see. And following our conversation just now with Greg Valier, you might want to pop someone. Inflation data likely to push Fed to consider 75 bips on Wednesday. This was supposed to be further down the road, right? It's based on a lot of the conversations we were having beginning with uh, surveillance this morning. Uh, we'll talk more about that, of course, coming up on Daybreak Asia. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg Sound On as we reassemble our panel today. The top witness set to testify before the, the January 6th committee today was a no-show, as you may have heard. And he had, well, he had a really good excuse. Donald Trump's former campaign manager, Bill Stepien's wife, went into labor this morning. The chairman of the committee, though, says he was in town. This Stepien was prepared to answer the panel's questions uh, before life happened. But it was amazing to see the plan B come together. Or I'm not sure, was this the backup plan? On the behalf of the committee, I mean. The committee opens at 10.30 this morning. They put it back a half an hour. They open with video of Stepien from his three hours of testimony, edited carefully into bites and in some cases strung together with cuts of other people testifying. 
to create a story all on its own, like a documentary. There was no narration from lawmakers or anybody else. You hear the questions from the lawyers, the answers from these top-ranking Trump officials. Was this James Goldston, the, the former president of ABC News we heard about? He's hired by the panel to, to help produce content for the hearings. I thought that was for prime time, but I don't know. I wonder. And today they focused on what was going on in the Trump White House on election night how the mood changed when Arizona was called for Joe Biden. Remember, of course, it was called by Fox. And the conflicting advice that the president received from his campaign manager, from Jared Kushner. And as we learned today from an intoxicated Rudy Giuliani, that's direct from the committee. Jason Miller confirmed Giuliani was drinking and intoxicated that night. It went late, of course, after midnight. And Rudy Giuliani got some time with the president. Let's listen. There are suggestions by, I believe it was Mayor Giuliani to go and declare victory and say that we'd won it outright. It was far too early to be making any calls like that. Um, Ballots, ballots were still being counted. Ballots were still going to be counted for days. Um, And it was far too early to be making any proclamation like that. I remember saying that I, to the best of my memory, and I was saying that we should not go and declare victory until we had a better sense of the numbers. Okay, can you be more specific about that conversation, in particular what Mayor Giuliani said, your response, and then anybody else in the room's response? I think effectively, Mayor Giuliani was saying, we want it, they're stealing it from us, where'd all the votes come from? We need to go say that we won. And essentially that anyone who didn't agree with that position was being weak. And so it began. That's Jason Miller again there, the presidential advisor, answering questions from the lawyers. You also heard the voice of Bill Stepien, the campaign manager who told the president that night, you know, you might want to go out there, say they're counting the votes still. We'll check back here tomorrow. And of course, that is not how it went. We reassemble the panel on Sound On. Jeannie is back with us today. Jeannie Shanzano, along with Doug High, Republican strategist. Doug, what did you make of uh, this today, watching not just the information come out, a lot of this stuff we've heard, but hearing it in their voices. These are the people in the room repeatedly, including Donald Trump's daughter, telling him that he had lost. Yeah, it's it's a very different context when you hear these words directly from from somebody, whether it's you know in-person testimony or or video. And obviously what the committee is doing is they are laying out, you know, this is all political, but this is also very much of a uh, essentially a legal proceeding. They are building a case. Um, and it seems clear that they'll be making a lot of criminal referrals, um, you know, to the Department of Justice. We'll yeah. have to see how high and, and how far that goes. So you, they bring it back to April uh, today, Jeannie, when the president at the time, Donald Trump, was talking about, hey, if I lose this election, it's only because it's rigged. And it went right up until that night when they decided, all right, let's go for it. Let's say that we won before they start finding votes in, in their uh, words, in Rudy Giuliani's words, at four o'clock in the morning. Uh, important to start here at the source, right? This this is not a president who was confused about what was going on. 
That's right. And, you know, I had a bit of, you know, a sort of surreal experience listening to this because, of course, we all lived through this. We pay, you know, fairly close attention to these things. But, Mm -hmm. you know, as as you think about what was going on the April before the election and going forward, we knew he was making these statements. You would hear him on and off. But to see it laid out the way they did today, starting back in April, going through to getting inside the room in election night and then continuing, it's it's a a stunning uh, reality. And, you know, this idea that there was this quote-unquote team normal versus Trump and they were Mm. people who were enormously supportive of him and wanted him to win but telling him the reality and he (laughs) wasn't accepting it 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 was I think a very very effective day and the most important thing is they are debunking this claim that the election was stolen and they are making the case that the president himself knew that it wasn't stolen and he continued making this case yeah. anyways, which results in the violence on January 6th. And so many people he trusted, so many loyal uh, uh, Trump staffers, including his own family, were telling him this, as it turns out. That was really something uh, to behold. Along with Bill Barr, I want to hear this uh, next portion here because it was remarkable. The former attorney general here uh, loomed large in the proceedings today. Uh, Again, not in person, video, testimony. And he described as he began to give up on Donald Trump. He describes a visit to the White House November 23rd, his first visit after the election. Spoke with Donald Trump in person the first time who was describing massive fraud and questioned why the Department of Justice was not doing more. As Bill Barr leaves the Oval, he's with Jared Kushner and Dan Scavino, the uh, the social media director, and he approaches them to ask the question. Here he is. How long is how long is he going to carry on with this uh, stolen election stuff? Where is this going to go? And by that time, uh, Meadows had caught up with me and uh, leaving the office and caught up with me and, and said uh, that. Uh, uh, he said, look, I, I, I think uh, that he's becoming more realistic and knows that there's a limit to how far he can take this. And then Jared said, you know, yeah, we're working on this. We're working on it. We're working on it, Doug High. That it's, it's incredible to think that his, his nearest advisors at the time thought he was about to come around, that Donald Trump would kind of drop the stolen election thing. That was Thanksgiving it's now summer of 2022. Yeah, I, I don't know what they expected him to come around on. You know, if if anything, Trump has been remarkably as wrong as he's been, has been remarkably consistent on this. There has been no change in any of his rhetoric. Yeah, um, he's he's pushed this since before the election. You know, he he we we often say about public speaking: tell people what you're going to tell them, say it, and then tell them what you just told them. Yeah. that's essentially what Trump did. He said the election was was rigged before he lost. He said it while he lost, and he's continuing to say it now. And, you know, for for aides to be surprised at this um, or to think that he would somehow turn around says that they were either engaged in massively wishful thinking or they don't know the guy at all. They, of course, uh, would be replaced by Rudy Giuliani and and Sidney Powell and company uh, shortly thereafter with regard to the, I guess, what we'd call the, the inner circle uh, Jeannie, but to think that everyone in that Oval Office thought the president was going to probably drop this, uh, his supporters still believe it. Uh, large percentages of Americans still believe it as this January 6th committee does its work. 
They do. I mean, today there is an, a primary election in Nevada, just as an example. And you've got somebody running on the Republican side, Sam Brown, who's raised an enormous amount of money mm. on the big lie against Adam Laxalt, who is likely to win that primary, who actually filed a lawsuit claiming that the election was stolen. One of these two people is likely to be the Republican nominee from Nevada and very well could be the next senator from the yeah. state of Nevada as Catherine Cortez Masto faces a really tough election. Mm -hmm. So these that's just one state, one primary, where this very real lie about this election has continued to resonate. And that's why this is the most important thing the January 6th committee can do, to underscore from the mouths of people who know the president and who told him that this was indeed a lie. By the way, Bill Stepien, uh, again, this was Trump's campaign manager at the time. This is the, he was supposed to testify today, wife went into labor. Uh, you, I'm sure, Doug, you might even know each other or work together. He's currently advising the Republican candidate. This is incredible. Who's running to unseat Liz Cheney. Endorsed by Donald Trump, continues to say the election was stolen. How can you do uh, both right now with a straight face, Doug? Well, you know, certainly in politics, you make different arguments for different purposes yeah, and in different sure places. Um, but, you know, this this is obviously, you know, a stretch and, and something that I don't think anybody was really paying much attention to until obviously this week. No, um, of course. You know, we'll we'll have to see, you know, we'll have to see if he's if he says anything about this or his candidate um, says anything about this. But it obviously, you know, creates more. And again, this, this is a very political proceeding, you know, more things for Liz Cheney to talk about. Um, when she's campaigning back home. Well, boy, I guess so. I, do you think that would uh, affect his performance or is this Washington genie and, and we're cooler than that? You know, you're very cool, Joe Matthew, right down yeah, there right. in Washington. And, you know, up here in New York, we, of course, know Bill Stepien because he was enormously involved in Bridgegate with Bridge Chris Christie. Gate. So he has a long history <laughs> with, with those of us in the Northeast. Boy, this just it, it, there's so many layers. Jeannie, Doug, thank you. Doug, come back soon. Jeannie will, of course. She's part of the family here on Bloomberg Sound On. The fastest hour in politics. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We've got two more hearings this week and a lot more to follow from this White House. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore.